Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Motivation Burrito. I'm your host, Melissa, and I almost wasn't going to do an episode um, for today because it is election week, and with the presidential election, um, there's obviously a lot going on in society, and there's just a lot of um, people who have taken the time away from social media to kind of just allow themselves the space needed to process um, and to stay away from the negativity because this presidential election has caused a lot of uproar, a lot of opinions, a lot of judgments, um, and just overall an insane amount of divide and just it's had a profound emotional impact that you wouldn't think it would have had but it did so that's kind of what I want to talk about in today's episode and I honestly almost didn't want to do it because I hate the topic of politics not because of it's hard to explain. So I don't typically talk politics because for one thing, I haven't really, I haven't really looked into politics for a very long time. I've avoided the conversation. I've avoided the topic. When I was in early college, um, when I was in Queens College, Part of the general education requirements that I had were actually some classes that were uh, sociology was one of them. And there was another class that I had taken that talked about politics on the most basic of levels. So we did have a basic understanding of American politics. And those two classes helped me to understand why we have the systems that we have. Um, but what I've found is that over the years, a lot of people have lost sight of that information. That information has been overloaded with social media bias, media bias, propaganda, um, news sources that are also biased and opinionated, um, whether it's because they're owned by a certain party or owned by a chairman who is of a certain party. There's a lot that goes on to, there's a lot that goes into um, the information that we receive from all media outlets and sources. And the time that it would take for me to do the research and to look into um, everything that's going on is just a lot of time that I would rather not take because I would rather focus on you know, just other things that are more pressing in my immediate life. So, and it's not to say that I don't care about these things. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's that there's just so much information. There's so much to keep up with. There's so much that you have to really educate yourself on, on a daily basis. A lot of these social and economic and cultural issues evolve on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. And again, it's a lot to keep up with. And if you're spiritual or emotional or empathic or sensitive, it, it becomes very, very overwhelming very fast. So in order to keep myself mentally healthy and mentally sound, Politics is something that I do not get myself too involved in. And as I said, a lot of it is also based on other individuals too, because I'm pre you can actually tell that there are people who do the same thing, that they base their opinions on surface level facts rather than doing the in-depth research. So a lot of the information that they feed back to you, that they repeat back to you, is what they see in the news and the media, and they don't get the full story. 
And so a lot of the arguments that we see between people and social media is based on the information that is fed to us rather than the information that we dive into. So, um, and also people forget history. Basic history plays into a plays a huge part into politics. Like American history, you kind of have to know your history in in order to understand politics. And people forget that this isn't the first time things like this have happened. Um, so, for example, the Obama election. Um, a lot of people were upset with President Obama because they said that a lot of the policies that he was trying to introduce were socialist policies and that he was trying to take us away from democracy and capitalism. And American history tells us he is not the first president to do that. He is not the only presidential candidate to ever do that. In fact, there were, I believe, three other candidates before him or three other presidents before him that introduced socialist policies to balance out the large gap between the rich and the poor because capitalism had gone out of control. But people forget that because, again, people forget their basic American history. But had they looked it up, had they Googled it, had they actually dug a little deeper, they would have realized that this is not the first time that something like this has happened. He is not the first man to do it, and he will not be the last man to do it as well. Um, and so for him to get the amount of heat that he did for trying to introduce certain policies that would actually help bridge that gap made it clear to me that people do not have all the information that they need to have. They do not come armed with the information that they need in order to really make a sound and logical and reasonable decision when it comes to who they choose for our leader. I also want to add that there is, um, we also forget about our checks and balances system. And that's something that is forgotten a lot, um, especially with this most recent presidency. It, it was almost like the idea of, check, of checks and balances was thrown out the window, and yet checks and balances was a primary part of the formation of our democratic government. In fact, um, it became like a huge, huge deal. And people forget that, again, there is a system of checks and balances at play here and that a lot of the decisions that were made were made against that system, were made against those policies. And so there's a lot of things that a lot of problems that I saw wrong with this recent term that was not based on the person, but based on what we had created as our system, what we had created as a society. So I'm not even talking about the individual who has been our leader for our past four years. I'm talking about the systems that were in place that were blatantly ignored that we've had in place for years. Um, so it was really like, I mean, I was shocked to be quite honest. I was shocked and I was just, I was kind of amazed at how it got so far the way it did. So to continue or to backtrack for a second on what I was saying, um, I'm going to start with the socialist part of things and I'm only because I actually found what I was looking for. So, I mean, there's a couple of things that I'm going to talk about today. The, the first is some past presidents that 
introduce socialist policies. I'm also going to talk about the checks and balances system because we've forgotten about that as well. And then I'm going to talk to talk about some of today's social issues that we're facing um, and just overall election anxiety, you know, like the anticipation and fears that we have around this year's elections. So that's my goal for today. And I'm going to, I don't want to make this lengthy because to, to be honest, this is not one of my favorite topics. So I'm just going to share my perspective and talk about the election anxiety because that is the main point of today's episode. Um, which I'm surprised I'm dealing with this as well as I am. I know a lot of friends who are experiencing election anxiety. I've had a lot of friends tell me that they're really afraid. Some of them um, opted for the absentee ballots. Some of them uh, voted early. I even had family members that voted early. Um, And just with my work schedule, I couldn't vote early, but I will be voting on election day. So, um, yeah, there's just been a lot of anxiety surrounding what could potentially happen this week. And there are a lot of people who are taking time away from social media because of that. So first things first, the talk of, I want to start with make America great again, because the whole premise behind make America great again was that when Trump was president-elect, he was under the impression that if Sanders was elected, we would become a socialist economy and that we were already far from capitalism as it is. And the policies that Obama had put into place were socialist policies, et cetera, et cetera. And as I mentioned, Obama was not the first person or or the first president to introduce a policy that was socialism based. And I did air quotes around socialism. I don't have video yet. So when I do start recording these episodes on video too, you'll get to see my mannerisms and my actions, but it wasn't exactly socialism. So there was an article that says it's socialism with a cap with a lowercase S and not a capital capital S because again, it's just um, smaller concepts that are not based on the McCarthyism idea of socialism, but instead they are policies that actually embody social welfare, which is a little bit different. So um, that being said, Once again, he is not the only president to do this. And the article actually states that lowercase socialism has had a presence in America since the revolutionary era. And here are some of the presidents that introduced some of these social welfare programs um, in our history. And the first one was Franklin D. Roosevelt during the Great Depression. The New Deal was a federally funded program that was designed to reinvigorate the American economy through massive infrastructural projects, which was, a lot of people argued, a socialist act. And there are even Republican presidents, get this, that did the same. President Dwight D. Eisenhower um, continued a post-World War II GI Bill that was attributed to creating the mid-century American middle class who helped boost the economy and drove it into hyperdrive. He also created the interstate highway system, um, which was a perpetuation of the New Deal and enforced Brown versus Board of Education, um, which was a case that for equal access to public education. And one of our other presidents who is still very, very known to this day, um, 
And a lot of people will still argue that he was a great president despite the scandals that he was involved in. President Richard Nixon gave us the Environmental Protection Agency as well as uh, OSHA, which regulated industry to ensure decent conditions of the workplace. Um, and again, these were also lowercase socialist policies. Um, this one I knew, or these next two I knew, John F. Kennedy and Lyndon B. Johnson also demonstrated um, some socialist policies. And Harry Truman was another one who uh, demonstrated some socialist policies. So again, this isn't the first time this has happened, but we forget this because the media sources will sit there and tell us that if one person dares to introduce a socialist policy in the year of 2016 or 2020, that it's a bad thing. Where when we look back at, at our history, the Great Depression was in the 1920s. So these policies have been in our country for almost 100 years at this point, And we're still fighting it, and yet it's worked. There is evidence that it's worked time and time again. And there is evidence that when we did introduce these policies into our economy, it actually helped reinvigorate it and boost it back up. And this is why I avoid politics, because it's not about the candidates. It's not about the people. It's not about who our president is and who our future president is going to be. It is about American history and the results and the evidence that's there and what's what has worked and what has been proven to work. But we forget these things and these things are not brought to the surface. So we sit there and we argue who's better and we sit there and we say, oh, this president sucks because he is taking away capitalism when history shows it's worked. And history shows that when the gap becomes too large between the rich and the poor, we start to suffer. And so we need something that's going to balance it out. But again, this is from an American history standpoint and not a political standpoint. And I, I do my best when it comes to conversations and topics around politics to keep it not only political, but to, again, to reinforce the understanding that it's so much more than this person versus this person. We have to look at history. We have to look at what has worked in the past. And we forget what these presidents, what these former presidents have done to reinvigorate our economy because nobody wants to paint that picture. So I will be the one to paint that picture. But then when I do, um, nobody says anything and the arguments stop. And I'm like, okay, so did you stop arguing because I was right? Or did you stop arguing because you realized that you had to do your own research? And either way, again, it becomes something that I don't like to talk about. Or the opposite happens and somebody tries to bring it back. Well, you're a supporter of so-and-so. No, I never said that. I said I look at it from a historical standpoint. I said I'm looking at it from a basis of evidence of what has worked and what hasn't. I said I am taking the people out of the equation and looking strictly at the policies and looking strictly at our, our past. And I'm looking at our future. That's just me. So checks and balances, checks and balances. Um, so the checks and balances system was designed to regulate our organization, our democracy, to ensure that political power is not concentrated in the hands of an individual or groups. And we failed. Um, I honestly think that there were several scenarios in the last four years where the checks and balances system was ignored. Um, so it says checks and balances is a principle of government under which separate branches are empowered to prevent actions by other branches and are induced to share power. <laughs> Let's see. 
Um, all right, I'm not finding. I'm not finding the three tiers that I wanted. But anyway, within our system, it exists, or it's supposed to exist. And we did not enforce it. So I will not say that it was completely ignored. But I will say that it was not enforced in the way that it should have been. I will say that it was not honored in the way that it should have been. I... I firmly believe that there were times where too much power was given to one side of our government or to one aspect of our government, and nothing was done to ensure that that balance existed. Um, so yeah, so I think that there were certain scenarios and certain situations where things were just completely out of control. Um, and that it wasn't enforced and that again we didn't do or our government didn't do what it was supposed to do um checks and balances separation of power uh I wanted to see when it started. Um, I'm pretty sure it started early on in the car in the Constitution. Yeah. So since 1789, the system of checks and balances has been in place, and yet we did not um we did not enforce it the way it should have been enforced in in my opinion in my opinion i think certain things were just done out of hand um certain things were just done with no regard to what we had created um and these things are in place for a reason. These policies, these procedures are in place for a reason because that's what keeps us running cohesively and it's what separates us from other countries and government uh, governments. And in fact, the whole idea of the, the the whole idea of the system of checks and balances was to ensure that one particular leader does not overpower the entire government. We did not want the tyranny. We did not want the monarchy. We did not want one ruler having the final decision of laws and bills and actions taken. We wanted a system in where the people would speak or the representatives of the people would speak on our behalf and ensure that the decision that was being made was the best decision for all involved, for all parties, for, our, for all government, for all the people. And we lost sight of that in the last four years. We have really lost sight of the voice of the people. And so it's been an extreme struggle in trying to get our voices back, in trying to get that system back, in trying to get our power back, in trying to be heard, in trying to be honored, in trying to go back to once was. And again, this is not about just one person. It is about all involved. And we stopped doing, and I don't mean we as a people, I mean we as a government, our leaders, our elected officials stopped doing what we elected them to do and ow oh I just got stuck on my bed um and so all of that has honestly affected our government it's affected our policies it's affected just our society as a whole and we are not what we used to be and and to be honest the unrest is 
extremely evident, not just in economy, but in just social unrest, in civil unrest, in the questioning of our rights. Like, what do we have the right to? Are our basic rights being honored? Are our basic rights being upheld? Or do we need to revisit this again? So in my opinion, there's a lot of questions. In my opinion, our representatives really need to stand up to leadership if the decisions are not the best for the people. We lost sight of for the people. We lost sight of that first line in the Constitution. We the people of the United States. That's what this was all supposed to be about. We lost sight of it. Isn't it interesting how politics and history go together and yet people focus on one over the other? This is why I don't do this, people. So, election anxiety. With everything that's going on, I will be honest, I am concerned. I'm concerned about quite a few things. Um, I don't have the anxiety that some other people do. I mean, here's what I'm anticipating. I'm anticipating riots. I'm anticipating violence. I'm anticipating revolution in a way. I really, really think that we are in a time and we are in a place where there's an uprising and it's interesting because when you think of an uprising, you think of times where the uprising was against, was against a monarch or a dictator or someone who's considered to be a tyrant. And we have, a, again, a democracy where it's supposed to be about the people, but because so many people feel unheard, because so many people feel outcasted, because so many people have felt the weight of injustice, we are experiencing an uprising and uprisings are scary because people will scream and shout and protest and make a stand. And anytime that there is protest, there is violence because there has to be a certain amount of order. But the problem is when we, when we have a leader that does not understand the order, when we have a leader that does not understand the laws, when we have a leader that does not understand our history, we cannot do our job. So one of the things that scares me is the police brutality is what happens when these riots and these protests and these uprisings start. We're going to see an increase in violence because our, our police, those who were sworn to protect us, have also lost sight of their duties to the people. They have lost sight of their roles and responsibilities and... Again, it's, it's failed leadership, it's failed knowledge, it's failed understanding of what you were meant to do, of what your purpose is. Your purpose is to protect the people. Your purpose is to uphold basic rights and civil liberties and, and the laws, and yet again, because of the lack of knowledge and the lack of education and, and, and the lack of your, your knowledge of your history, you're, you're being blindsided 
you know, our, our, our forces just don't know what to do. What do you do when you have people feeding you the wrong information and telling you to do one thing that goes against everything that we stood for, everything that we fought for? How do you navigate that? And that's where the struggles have been because, again, you have one person saying one thing and you have one person saying another and nobody knows the truth of the matter. And so that's what we need is we need to get back to the truth. We need to get back to the core of it all. And I, my hope is that we find our way back to it. And my hope is that we don't have to have that uprising. And that's what I am praying for. But I do understand the anxiety behind it. I understand the uncertainty. I understand the not knowing which way things are going to go. And there's also trust, right? Can we trust ourselves? Can we trust the people to make the right decision? Can we trust them to make the educated decision, not only for themselves, but for their neighbors, for their friends, for their families, for the community? Can we trust our neighbors to make that right decision? Can we trust our community to make that decision? Can we trust the, elector the electoral college to make the right decision? Can we trust our representatives to make the right decision and stand up for us? Who do we trust in a society that has faced this much turmoil? That's like, that's the massive question. That's the million dollar question. Who can you trust? Can you trust your neighbor? What do you know about your neighbor's values? What do you know about your values? What do you know about your SO's values? Like your significant other's values? How much do you truly know a person? It's times like these where people show, and again, I'm not saying that it's about people showing their true colors because in some cases, yes it is. In some cases, I've seen that people have shown that they are outright racist and it's a shame because I'm like wow I never thought I would see so-and-so comment in such a way where they're essentially supporting you know uh, a decision like this or I never thought I would see somebody who couldn't understand the gravity of a situation like you know the George Floyd murder and who couldn't understand the impact about it or couldn't understand like just how unjustified it was. Um, and it boggled my mind to see some of the comments that I saw, to see some of the people that I know make, make remarks and statements that they made. And I'm just like, are you like, are you kidding? But what made me sad, what made me the most sad beyond that, beyond the people who just outright showed their colors, were the people who showed how little they knew, were the people who showed how the education system failed them, or how they failed themselves during the education system, you know, it was it was pretty evident that in some way, shape, or form, the education system either failed them or they failed themselves by not paying attention to certain things that were important to be able to make the decisions that they need to make as an, as an adult. Whether it's the civil rights movements, whether it's, again, American history and politics and um, policies and socialism and capitalism and democracy and, you know, the, the knowledge of all of these things. 
it's it's clear that there are gaps it's clear that there's more work that needs to be done and it's clear that people are not armed with the information necessary to make the decisions and it's also clear that there are not a lot of resources out there today that can properly feed them the information that does not have a bias. So what do you do? How do you learn? Again, it's it's hard. And that's why I don't like to talk about these things because it's like, where do you go to get that information? Where do you go to get that education? It takes time and effort. So here are some of the social issues that have been prominent throughout this year. And most recently, it's voting rights because there have been talks about votes not being counted at the ballots. There have been talk to, talks about scandals behind votes go, like going missing and ballots not being sent out and um, just ballots being sent out late. And then there's also the Postal Service issue where because of COVID and cuts to the Postal Service and just um, things not going well, ballots were being sent out late or, you know, um, it was going to take longer for the ballots to get to where they needed to go and you had to account for the extra time due to the backlog from the Postal Service. And all of these things impacted our basic right to vote. And you wouldn't think it would be impacted in this way, but it was. We had to we had to take into consideration the extra time it was gonna take for our vote to get there and be counted because of the economy, which is another one of the major social issues of this year. Our economy, the job market, unemployment, how COVID impacted sales, how COVID impacted businesses, how COVID impacted our economy overall. And all of these things were things that were not handled properly. Here's one that I didn't even know about because you don't see it on the news. Climate justice or climate issues, the Australian wildfires, California wildfires, Temperatures in the Arctic being record-breaking highs, uh, the possible extinction of polar bears, like all of these things are not talked about a lot in the news. They're not talked about a lot. I don't see a lot of articles about this every day. And it's so important to our daily life because it's important to our research resources. It's important to our harvests. It's important to our crops. It's important to a lot of the stuff that we import, you know, like the oceans. Think about how it impacts the seafood that we, you know, the seafood market and just all these things that are not talked about. And it's a top nine. It's in the top 10 social issues. I didn't know this. I will be honest. I did not know that climate was in the top 10 because I don't hear about it. Healthcare. Again, COVID-19 really exposed the gaps in our healthcare system. COVID-19 exposed the resources in our healthcare system um, and the lack of resources. It exposed just so much in general. Um, It amazes me because I have friends who are in the healthcare industry. I have friends who experienced some of the toughest days of their lives being at the forefront of the pandemic, watching as they couldn't care for certain people who didn't have the proper insurance, watching as people who did have the insurance came in with severe symptoms and had to be put on ventilators and 
still somehow end up with massive bills and and just you know certain insurances only cover certain things and and how do you turn people away who are so severely sick because of insurance issues because of money issues because this is what we do right healthcare healthcare is so important healthcare in a pandemic like this is crucial and People couldn't afford the care. People couldn't afford the hospital bed. People couldn't afford the ventilators. People couldn't afford the stay. And just the amount of... Like, I I can't imagine being on the forefront and having to turn somebody away and saying, oh, I'm sorry, your insurance doesn't cover this. Or, oh, this is how much you would have to pay for a three-day stay or you know this is how much you would have to pay for the medication this is how much you would have to pay for the ventilators this is how much you would have to pay for you know your bills and they keep compounding and compounding and compounding and then when the patient is finally released you have to hit them with this huge medical bill and say this is what you owe can you imagine that can you imagine having to deliver that news to somebody who just experienced probably the worst thing of their life. It just boggles my mind and it's so scary to think about it. And this pandemic has probably caused a lot of medical staff to have PTSD from this. They probably have nightmares. They probably just are, they probably have to go to intensive therapy for some of the things that they saw. And I I can't imagine being on the front line. And that's why to my friends who are in the medical industry, to my friends who are nurses and doctors and um, medical personnel and and EMTs and and paramedics and just if you are in that industry if you are on the on the front lines if you in any way like were there on the day-to-day experiencing this firsthand I commend you and I want you to know how much I love you and appreciate you for for finding the strength to go on every single day in spite of a huge medical crisis, in spite of a a huge pandemic that we had no way of controlling, in spite of the lack of resources and just doing all that you could and, and saving all the people that you could possibly save. Like, I commend you and my heart goes out to all of the essential workers who really showed up and did all they could and worked long hours and just, there's no amount of words to express how amazing these people are um, and how undervalued they were, how undervalued. And it goes to show again that we as a society, we as a government, we're not prepared for this. And I was actually talking to my dad about this today. And I remember the movie Outbreak and how fast they responded and how how involved the response was. Like you were talking massive military response because of this outbreak. And this movie was what, in the 90s? And they had, like, the top CDC experts trying to control the outbreak and trying to find a cure and trying to find the source of the virus in the first place. And the military involvement was insane. Like, there was military trucks everywhere and evacuations and isolations and curfews being implemented. And the amount of control and the way they were able to somewhat sustain it That's the response that we needed, and that is the response that we did not get, unfortunately. Um, And it's a shame when we think about these movies and we think about, oh, shit, oh, yeah, that's right. 
there was that and okay yes I get it it's a movie but there's some there's some basis to it there's a little bit of a basis to it and we probably could have done a little bit more maybe just a little bit I don't know that's just me again just my opinion my opinion doesn't matter much Racial injustice and gun violence. I don't think I need to say more. But I'm going to say more. Because I feel like as much as I talk about it, and I talked about it a little bit in, in my podcast early on. I'm pretty sure it was episode like five or seven or five and seven. Seven was like a very short episode. Um, but I'm pretty sure I had talked about it briefly early on and I didn't want to get into it too much because, uh, again, I try and stay out of certain conversations and certain situations, but I mean, it was just, you can't deny You can't deny the articles. You can't deny the amount of racial occurrences that happened in a three-month span. In a short amount of time, there were so many unjustified deaths. There was so much police brutality. There was so much gun violence. And, you know, the whole Say Their Name movement started. The whole Black Lives Matter movement was reignited. And even this month, a couple of days ago, there was again another another senseless death of a young man named Kevin Peterson Jr. And again, this happened literally a few days ago. I believe it was October 29th. So just a few days ago. When does it stop? Ahmaud Aubrey, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Richard Brooks were just a few of the the biggest ones that we know about, the hugest injustices. Riots broke out, civil unrest broke out. But can you blame can you blame the communities for it? Can you blame our society for speaking up and speaking out about the injustice, about the the lack of compassion, about the clear the clear racism that those officers portrayed like it was evident and if you deny that and if you turn away from it for even just a second I don't want to say you're contributing to the problem but you're not facing it you're not acknowledging the problem you're not allowing the truth to come in and again we are in a position where or we are in a time where the truth cannot be suppressed anymore there's a quote from there's a buddhist quote and I actually have this quote written on my mirror. And when I wrote the quote, it was about a personal situation, a situation that was personal to me. Um, It was about my own personal development. It's about, uh, it was about an experience that I was having with somebody. And I'm still kind of going through it. And it's still kind of, again, a personal thing right now. But it was a a Buddhist quote that I have on my wall or on my mirror, I should say. And the quote says, three things cannot be long hidden, the sun, the moon, and the truth. And what we are going through right now as a society is a prime example of that quote. We are exposing the truth. We are revealing the truth. 
We are, re we are revealing the truth about our leaders. We are revealing the truth about our government. We are revealing the truth about our society. We are revealing the truths about the people who were sworn to protect us. We are revealing the truths about the people who were sworn to represent us that have not been doing what they took the oath to do. And all of that is being brought to the surface and all of that is being brought to the light and all of that is being brought to the media. The truth is being revealed in a massive, massive way. And there's resistance. And isn't it funny how the things that I talk about in my podcast are actually relevant to political and social issues? There's resistance. We are resisting the truth because there are a lot of us who refuse to believe that this is happening. There are a lot of us to, who refuse to believe that the people who are supposed to be there for us, protect us, represent us, be our voices, who, the people who are supposed to guide us, lead us, and, and help us succeed and, and help us flourish and thrive, are failing us. There's resistance around that because we chose these people. We chose these people. We chose these leaders. We chose these representatives. We, you know, like we, we support our officers because, again, we believe that they are actually there to protect us. We support our troops and our military because they took an oath to protect us. They took an oath to fight for our freedoms. They took an oath to fight for our country, to fight for America. We chose these people based on the belief that they were going to do the job that they took the oath to do. So when the truth comes out that they're not, when the truth comes out, that the systems are failing, that the people are failing, that the representatives are failing, that the checks and balances isn't working, that we've come so far from that original concept of we the people, that we've come so far from the original concept of basic rights and basic freedoms and basic civil liberties, it's hard to accept that truth. We resist accepting that truth because we don't want to see the ugly. We, and there's shame involved in it too. We feel ashamed. We feel ashamed because we should be doing more or we want to do more and we can't do more because we don't have the resources to do more. Or we feel ashamed because we turned our backs to it rather than speaking up and speaking out about it. We feel guilty, we feel sadness, we feel hurt, we feel pain, we feel anger, we feel emotions, we feel all sorts of things because one, we didn't know, and two, when we did know, we didn't want to believe it, and then when we finally started to believe it, we felt the shame of not acting sooner, of not doing anything sooner of not speaking out sooner and, and trying to help. So there's a process that we went through. And again, it's that awakening, it's that evolution, it's that development, it's that growth. And all of this, all of this makes it easy to understand why there's such anxiety around this election, because we're in a position where we have to right a wrong. Where the next four years has to right the wrong of the last four years. And can we do that or is it too late? Can it be done or will it get worse before it gets better? And here's the even scarier. Is this the calm before the storm? Like, is the last four years, the calm before the next four years? Are the next four years going to be even scarier than these past four years? We don't know. There's so much uncertainty in the air and that's what's causing the anxiety. Because what if this wasn't the worst of it?
What if it gets worse from here? And it's a scary thought. Um, so just, so I'm just going to wrap this up by sharing some of the topics that matter the most to our voters, um, and just kind of go through that quickly and, you know, talk about some of the things that people are really looking at while in this election process. So I'm almost done. I'm just going to go into this last little bit and then I will, as I said, wrap this up. Um, so here are some of the top things or the top concerns for American voters this time around for 2020. Um, 79% of voters have our economy as a primary concern. Um, healthcare is 68% of voters um, have that as a concern. Supreme Court has 64% of voters. COVID-19, 62% of voters have said that they are concerned or that it matters or that they are taking it to consideration, um, obviously, as part of this voting process. Violent crime has 59% of voters. And then the next two were foreign policy and gun policy. And then race has 52%. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So race is, again, nine in, in, in a top 10, um, which to me is a little bit concerning. I would have thought that it would have been higher, at least a little bit on the scale. But I mean, at least 52% of people consider it an issue. Again, I think it should be more, but that's just my opinion. Um, side to side, these are the top three concerns for people who are leaning towards one candidate. I'm not going to say which. I'm just going to give you the numbers. And if you want to do your research, you can. I'm pretty sure you'll find the answer based on the numbers that I give. On one side, for those who support candidate A, the top three concerns are economy at 80%, violent crime at 74%, and immigration at, 60, at 61%. For candidate B, those who support him, their concerns are healthcare at 84%, COVID response at 82%, and race equality issues at 76%. So... Again, I suggest you do your research and if you want to find out, you know, where you stand or if you want to see which candidate has, you know, which as their primary policies and concerns and whether or not those will be addressed, I suggest you do so. I did find a fun quiz online that actually tells you or tells you who you would vote for. I don't want to say tells you, suggests or kind of determines who you would vote for based on your values and your concerns. Um, and it was, it was interesting because um, the number one candidate that I would vote for is neither Democrat or Republican based on my values. It was actually um, a different party candidate, but the next one based on my values um, was either candidate A or candidate B. It was one of the two. So I found it interesting how it was able to, it was able to determine that. And again, who I am deciding to vote for is nobody's business, but my vote, as I said, is not based on the individual, but on the policies, on the concerns, on what matters to me, on history, on what I know of my history and what, I've, and what I know to be true. Um, and so the vote that I make is based on those circumstances and those contingencies 
I have taken the people out of the equation because to be honest, both of them have major flaws. Um, and there's, there's scandals. There's scandals around each of them that are just absolutely like horrifying. Um, and again, how much of the information is true is up to us to determine on our own. And also, you know, some of the scandals are not direct. They're not of the person directly. And there are, you know, families and, and acquaintances and relatives. And a part of me believes that even though we are not responsible for the actions of others, who or how we respond to those actions says a lot about who we are as individuals. And so that is something that, again, you can't be responsible for the actions of another person. That is correct. But how you respond to those actions is also just as important. And the failure to respond or the lack of response or just the not so good responses have contributed to, you know, some of the scandals and some of the things being in the light. And again, um, I think there's a lot, I think there's a lot there and there's, there's a lot of information to unpack in terms of the candidates and the scandals and the things that they're involved with. And, um, Again, that's a story for a different day. My question and my decision is based on what will the next four years look like based on who is in the office? What can we foresee happening in the next four years? Can we recover from this? Um, are there going to be changes or are things going to stay the same? And so, yeah. So my decisions are going to be based on who best answers those questions. I guess that's the best way to say it. This has been a very hard topic to talk about, as you can tell. Because I'm trying to... I'm trying to bring my per my perspective to the table in a way that people can understand. And I'm trying to keep as much bias out of it as possible. And I'm trying to... And I'm, I'm basically just sharing what I know to be true. You know, I'm I'm sharing what I see, I'm sharing what I believe, I'm sharing what I value. And again, I'm sharing the fact that I've witnessed people come to the table without being armed with the information necessary to make the decision that needs to be made, you know? Because you can't make a decision if you don't have all the information. Or you can't make a reasonable decision if you don't have all the information. And I think that's just where we fall short. I, I, and I personally believe that if people had more knowledge, if people knew the history, not just what's in front of them now, but if we truly understood and remembered our history compiled with where we are now, things would be a lot different. And that's, that's my opinion. Um, there are people who are just going to ignore the truth no matter how hard it hits them in the face. Again, resistance. There are, listen, I could tell you all about resistance. You know I can. And in politics, it's no different. You know, like people resist certain things because they just don't want to face the truth in those situations. And we can't control that, you know, um, but like anything else, 
what you don't want to face, you shall resist. And that is the unfortunate way of humanity. So with that being said, please take care of yourself this week. Um, do everything you can to protect yourselves. Keep yourself safe mentally, physically, emotionally. This is going to be a hard week for a lot of people. There are a lot of people who are probably not going to be present on social media um, because they want to deal with this and process this in their own way. They are probably going to be largely impacted by the decision of this week. And so really be mindful of your friends and your family and your acquaintances and who you follow and just be there for them as best as you can. And also be there for yourself and really, truly take care this week and know that it's okay to take time and space for yourself to process the information and know that election anxiety was actually a thing this year and a lot of people felt it and a lot of people are still feeling it and there's just a lot of energy and a lot of fear and concern surrounding what's going to happen for the next four years. So. Please take care of yourselves. Please be mindful. Please take all the time and space you need. And let's just hope and pray for the best and hope and pray that the next four years turn out to be better than the last four and that we can recover from this because 2020 was most definitely hard on all of us in so many ways. So take care of yourselves. I love you all. Thank you for listening. And this has been another episode of The Motivation Burrito. Follow me on Facebook at The Motivation Burrito Podcast. Follow me on Instagram at The Motivation Burrito. Check out my website, www.themotivationburrito.com. And I will hopefully be back Friday. If this, not, if this hasn't overwhelmed me too much, I will hopefully be back Friday. And if not, I will see you all next week. Enjoy, everyone.